0: Hi, it's me, Gavin, here in the Green Valleys of South Wales, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if pop culture is not our friend, which bits of pop culture can we trust? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything.
2: hello everybody and welcome to this episode of dame baptiste questions everything a podcast where myself comedian writer and occasional actor and a recent sufferer of a bout of man flu dame baptiste my producer friend howard cohen with a strong immune system aka the hizzer hello i wish that was true but hello <laughs> and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked irrespective of their immunization status and we are talking everything from
0: we're talking everything from gavin from south wales's question if pop culture is not our friend which bits of top culture can we trust blimey that's cryptic isn't it gavin uh
2: a, Dane, where where you going with
0: that it's a good one isn't it? it's, it's a good, really good question thank oh, you very much for your question yeah. gavin
2: uh if pop culture isn't your friend which bits of culture can we trust um I would say that, uh, I think I've heard it said before and I'll say it again Gavin, I think culture is both the uh, problem and the solution but I think that uh, the culture that you can trust is culture that uh, is a function of your appreciation and your enjoyment as opposed to uh, suggestion or corporate suggestion uh, and conformity uh, and as long as whatever cultural practices or etiquette causes no harm and loss to any other sentient being. I think that's the one to go with,
0: personally. That's a great answer. Uh, My answer is just Billie Eilish. Uh, I was going David Attenborough, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, David?
2: Absolutely no question is too big, too small, too niche, or too popular. Uh, if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from and you'll never miss an episode. And please check us out on Patreon to support the podcast at your own discretion, where you can hear all of our very special guests asking and answering our very special questions with that being said on today's show is a former advertising executive turned activist strategist and author he is the founder of the new citizenship project a consultancy that promotes the ethos of thinking of people as citizens first before you think of them as consumers his book citizens covers the subject and many more in great detail it is a great pleasure to have him on the show so please welcome mr john alexander
1: hello thank you for having me guys Welcome A to pleasure. the show mate.
0: Yeah. What what culture do you trust, John? David Attenborough is what your your well, basically, main. Basically, I mean, yeah, yeah, it begins yeah. and
1: ends, right? Like if you, if you're asking for trust in this world, then you've got to look you've got to look to one place, I think really.
2: It's the got, the only
1: man for whom the queue will be longer than the queen.
2: I've got uh, I've got <laughs> what only one thing which might be contentious um is that where I feel only David Attenborough has spoken about uh saving the planet and I only would argue that he should leverage his pleas to the corporate entities who are a lot, much more responsible for wholesale pollution and uh, reduction in biodiversity and life on this planet. I love David Attenborough. Mm. I love the shows, but I think that when he is uh, have eliciting pleas for people to change the way we live in the world, I think that he should understand that his biggest supporters are the converted, and we're not the choir that he necessarily needs to sermonise to. That's all I'll say. We could spend the whole show on this. There's fun to be had here. But But uh... sadly,
0: we have to pose a question or two as the uh, format of the show dictates. Isn't that right, Dane?
2: Absolutely, but I believe that we will uh, will, there will be a certain theory of relativity with this, John. Um, But as our very esteemed guest, you're very welcome on the show, and we'd like to invite you to ask the question for our show, which can be any question you would like, which we would like to discuss for uh, maybe 15 minutes or so. Uh, If we have remaining time, how would like to pose a question to you to ask for the same amount of time, and if you have any time left over, I would like to pose a question to you for the same amount of time, keeping up with tradition and culture on this podcast, and uh, after which we'd love for you to tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out about your good works, past, present and future. How does that sound?
1: That sounds wonderful. Cool. Uh, so I, shall I pose your question?
0: Yes, Bring it please. On. Bring it on, John.
1: Come on. <laughs> uh, so so uh, skipping right to the end of the show, my, my plug for my book, the, the subtitle <laughs> of my book, Citizens, is why the key to fixing everything is all of us. So I, so I thought that I thought the the question I would pose for us is uh, why is everything falling apart or what does it feel like everything's falling apart and what can we do about that?
0: Blimey. Okay, keep it small. Uh, keep it small. <laughs> uh I mean, what a great question. <laughs> Why is everything falling apart? I mean, all of the things that are falling apart, there's so many things. It does feel falling. like that, doesn't it? It, it? it, I often, and I think there's a lot of fatigue in people because they feel like they can't influence anything. And I think like, you know, you look at something just as simple as climate change, pretty big deal, the old end of the planet, I'd say. Um but, you know, you, you, there's so many things surrounding just that that are separate issues. And it's so complicated to deal with. And you are obviously basically have given up your entire life because uh, you, you used to work in advertising, right, John? And, and now you do something completely different.
1: Yeah. So, the, I mean, the reason why I got to this really was I, I spent the first 10 years of my career uh, kind of having having only ever wanted to be a professional athlete before that and stumbled out of uh, out of sport because I was a bit not good enough uh I, I i landed in the advertising industry and then and then fairly quickly started asking questions that were like what what are we doing to ourselves when when we're surrounded by this stuff all the time uh and, and my first boss described my job to me by saying what you got to remember is the average consumer sees something like three thousand commercial messages a day uh and your job is to cut through that you've got to make yours the best and, and by the way this was back in 2003 so they're uh dating myself but the the, the latest estimates so that some cohorts in some parts of the world that are exposed to anything up to like 10,000 commercial messages a day. 90. And, and I basically went on this, on this trip of like, hang on, what am I part of? Uh, and, and got to, Got to a diagnosis that they, that really is saying. I think I think we're surrounded by stories and ideas and messages that that are essentially t- saying, "Shush, little people, just go shopping." Like you're not you're not big enough and good enough to, to 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 do anything meaningful in the face of the challenges of our time, and and I think the reason why that's now got to such a crisis point is because that that story itself, that that idea of people as consumers, is actually at the root of the root of, of pretty much all of the, of the big challenges we face. So some, sometimes the way I talk about it is like we, we face an ecological crisis, as you were talking about, but, and, and, and that's, that crisis is a symptom of a story that says that we're separate from nature and that, that success is the accumulation of material possessions. And you can't solve that crisis from within that story. Mm. And we face, a, we face a loneliness crisis which is the result of a story that says that we're independent, isolated individuals, consumers. And you can't solve a loneliness crisis from within that story. And, and we face an inequality crisis, and that comes from the idea that society is a kind of competition, that we have to rise above one another. And that, again, is the consumer story. And you can't solve it from within that story. So so the the, 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 the idea I'm offering in the book, the, the kind of the way I'm seeing the world now, having kind of stumbled out of the advertising industry and 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 hated myself for a significant portion of time, <laughs> is, is to say, like, what if we could put the same energy and creativity and joy into inviting people into their agency as citizens instead of just saying, shush, little people, just go shopping. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so for me, it's like the, the, the reason everything feels like it's falling apart and everything is falling apart is because we're stuck in a story that isn't actually helpful but also the, the the hope comes from the fact that it isn't actually true either
0: yeah Dane <laughs> I, I mean
2: I just want to say first of all like yeah thank you John just for existing on <laughs> the, <in> the first <laughs> basis well because first of all I think uh in terms of the second part of the question I think a large amount of the uh inaction and uh perceived self-impotence comes from the fact that because of so much uh corporate or capitalist generated isolation and encouraging individualism most people feel like their the thoughts they have about the uh environment which seems very count which is is not counted is which is contradictory to human nature isn't mm. something that most people are able to discuss explicitly yeah. and so i say thank you because i think it's It's always important that when people uh, meet other people that share the same platitudes, that alone as a social species begins the uh, process of reclaiming humanity as a part of the same ecosystem that we normally opine on uh, as a extant species from it. Mm. So I'd say that I completely agree with you in terms of why things have gotten so bad is that because, they have been if we look at the story of humanity various different chapters or aspects appendices have probably reached a point of their maximum efficacy and we are at a point now where they may have been very effective whether it was uh the rise of consumerism in post war in the post war west um the proliferation of uh social media maybe in the 21st century um the transition of us going of going from a economic system of capitalism to consumerism where I guess capitalism in its most rudimentary sense kind of had an intersectionality between what we call free market economics and supplying a demand. Whereas now we can generate false demand, false demand and then provide a supply for it for no reason, uh, only for, for no other reason, other than to continue perpetuating yeah. a system that benefits few people. Um, And then, yeah, I guess the most recent thing is the fact that we've now reduced the uh, human condition in terms of our, uh, I suppose, our ideological outlook has now been reduced to binary code because of its, uh, uh, its cohabitation of social media spaces with artificial intelligence. So now we're at a point now where human beings get more of what they like, but there's no what if or consider something else, which has historically been the uh, catalyst for human innovation. Yeah,
1: you, know, th- you just reminded me. I saw there was a thing I saw the other day that uh, kind of freaked me out almost more than any- almost more than anything. <laughs> um, we- and we'll get on to the positive part of this conversation at some point. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm going
2: to say a
0: time, but I don't worry. But, but but
2: that being said, we but yeah. In any in any anonymous uh, or any support group, you have to identify the problem first before Amen. we begin. So let's we, we can discuss it.
1: But the the thing I read the other day
2: Sorry, sorry, John. Don't fall into this trap where you feel the need that you have to pacify or spoon feed people the truth. If no one has recognised that we're up shit creek yet, (laughs) then you've got no fucking chance. So if anyone's like, it's a bit too negative, (laughs) that's too fucking bad. Because we are where we fucking are. So (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. You know, they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, now there's shit in the water. So it might not even be safe to drink. With that analogy, mm-hmm. so you could be unabashed in telling people how fucked it is right now. Just feel free. I,
1: I, I like. There's a serious point here. Just, just to tell you, the thing that flipped me out the other day was I read a. I was. I, I spent quite a lot of my. Time, I'm a big geek, basically. So I spent quite a lot of my time with social psychology papers and things like this. And I came across one that said that um, the finding was basically uh, if you uh, if you tell people that human behaviour is predictable mm. before you then set them a series of tasks the way they, they then behave more predictably. So sure. even the idea that human behavior is predictable conditions people to behave more predictably. And that and that in the world of AI and kind of algorithmic uh, is, is kind of quite terrifying. The very idea, the, the very presence of the idea that we could be, that our decision-making can be predicted makes our decision-making more likely to be able to be predicted. It's like, ah! But um, and, and just to say as well, like, I think on your, this thing about, like, we are up shit creek, and 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 it, and i think there's a really serious point and it is dangerous to pretend that that's not the case mm. uh, and all of this that people talk about and um, some of the fake i work with talk about hopium right and this idea that like actually like the there is there is a kind of hope there is a kind of optimism that is that is deeply necessary right like there is there is there is a point at which you can You can just tune people out because you're, because there's nothing, you make it that there's nothing you can do. And there is stuff we can do. There is a role for all of us. And so that's not where I'm coming from. But there is also a kind of, there is a, there is a really kind of pervasive and, and quite dangerous, like keep calm and carry on, like, Mm. which is is the
2: perfect, the perfect affirmation to use because once that started having a resurgence, if you remember when that started coming back and being at, Yeah, 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 yeah it was almost like a year before the financial crash when it started coming back into the thing and you could buy the cushions and people started buying the mugs and stuff. And I was like, and I remember at that time being like, why the fuck are we bringing about wartime slogans? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> like you can yeah. understand during a wartime slogan, when people are being actively confronted with their own, uh, mortality on a daily basis. Why just, a, and, and at a time where, you know, the advancement of medication for neurodivergence or for, um, Neuro neurotic uh disorders, you can understand why they kept having people have mm. these affirmations, and at a time where spirituality and theology would have had a lot more relevance as well. But in 2006, when it was like keep calm and carry on, I was like, but why though? What's happening that would make us be less calm?
1: Yeah, it's like get angry and get stuck in, is the it's yeah. sort of more the vibe, I think,
2: um, exactly. Because if you get angry, normally that's what proceeds large sociological changes when people are like, fuck, what the fuck, fuck this. It's like, you know, the Arab Spring and uh, the French Revolution, they weren't necessarily predicated, they weren't preceded by like, big ideological uh, discussions about changes and egalitarian changes. It was like, these people are making it so we can't eat Mm. and feed our families. And that is the point normally at which human beings are like, nah, it's too much.
0: But when you're trying to explain because John, you must obviously, you know, exist uh, in well, obviously exists, but I mean, exist in in society. When you try and boil down your kind of, because that's a, yeah. you've written a book, so that's quite a lot of words to say at a dinner table, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but how do you get it across to the person that you might be sitting next to at a pub or something like a dinner table?
1: I mean, what, what I love to do, actually, is is tell my favourite story from the book. And I'll try and do, I'll do this very succinctly for you. And it, it jumps off what Dave was just saying, actually. Um, so my favourite story from the research of the book was uh, was what's happened in, the, in Taiwan over the last 10 years. And basically, it starts, starts back in 2012. The government launched uh, what they called the Economic Power-Up Plan. Uh, And they basically there were were TV ads that said things like, uh, don't let's waste time talking about policies and complicated things like this. Uh, We'll get on with growing the economy and you get on with your lives. It was genuinely like straight up shush little people just go shopping. Yeah. And what happened in response to this? It sort of seemed to go down okay, But a group of uh, a group of hackers started to organize. And what they did was they built uh, parallel websites to government websites all with the URLs Mm -hmm. g0v.tw. And they called themselves GovZero, and they said they were forking the government, which is always quite fun. But but they were basically imagining a different relationship between citizens and states. They they created like uh, conversation menus that you could download and talk about over your kitchen table. They they scraped a load of data and made it so you could upvote and downvote budget items and these kinds of things. And it wasn't massive, right? But it started to grow a little bit. And then two years on, 2014, uh, the government tried to rush through a trade bill in mainland China under the banner of the economic power Plan. And at that point, uh, people got angry and got stuck in. So there was a protest, a big protest, Occupy-style protest. They occupied the parliament. Hmm. And the GovZero gang got a broadband connection in and started streaming uh, what the protesters were doing, uh, on social media, then it got picked up and broadcast. And what they were doing was they were using the Gov Zero tools to debate the clauses of the trade bill. They were basically doing what government should have been doing in the hmm. space government should have been. And, and at that moment, this vital moment came to the, 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 the Speaker of the Parliament came under pressure from the government to boot the protesters out. But he didn't. He refused and he said, this is what we should be doing here. This is this is what should be happening. Uh, and, and he promised the protesters that the trade bill would get due scrutiny if they left it, they 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 got due scrutiny it got thrown out uh six months later the municipal elections all over Taiwan candidates were elected who'd stood by the protesters from nowhere bring up to like four years on when COVID hit by that point one of the leaders of the protest movement had now become uh, a minister in their own right after uh after like elections and so on and uh, and the, that person led the Taiwanese COVID response, which was characterized by the three principles, fast, fun and fair. This is fully true, by the way. <laughs> I'm not making any of this up. Yeah, and they, yeah. they, they basically crowdsourced the entire national response. Uh, there was, a, it was even a thing where they, they set up a phone line where any citizen could ring in with ideas for how the country's response could be better. Wow. And a six-year-old boy rang up and said, the boys in my class don't want to wear their face masks because they're pink and they think that they're girly. So you should do something to make pink face masks cool. And I think you should work with the baseball team. And three days later, like, this is so, this is fully true. Three days later, they had half the Taiwanese baseball team, the little boy and the president, on the national televised press conference in their pink face masks. But <laughs> <Like>, this is... <laughs> And, and this and it sounds mad, but like this is actually when you stop and think about it. And if you start from this idea that people are citizens, people have ideas and energy and resources to contribute rather than just being consumer buying machines, then Actually, you get there pretty quickly. You go, who who understands how six-year-old boys think better than a six-year-old boy? And then you go, what if we designed our entire societies around that principle, around that mm. idea of who we are? What if we, what if we, what if we accepted and acknowledged, and if our leaders would actually say, look, this climate thing, we're we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and and the best thing we can do in the face of that. Is to get everyone involved. Like we need everyone here. This is this is off the charts hard, but we can
2: all play a role. Like that kind have of. You, have you seen? Is our, have exactly you seen? What happened. Have you seen our health secretary, John? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I, think, the... I think I think I think, that's, I think that is a wonderful story, and I think it definitely uh, definitely highlights how uh, effective it can be when you do see true democracy, even at a discursive level, working effectively yeah. and people being aware of that. I just think that uh, taking into account all the aspects of how those progressive changes and implements took place, I juxtapose that with the structure of uh, British bipartisan politics and the hierarchies of power, and it's almost as if it's set up to prevent something like that from happening, because uh, you know, for me, I studied business at school with the view of wanting to be a, a, an advertising executive, and one of yeah yeah, and one of the things that definitely set me off in terms of becoming a lot more cynical about the establishment was the discovery of a theory about retail, cell- retail therapy. Hmm. Cause I was like, so people will just buy things and that can make them feel better. I guess like temporarily, I know it's a recognized thing that if you buy stuff, it makes you feel. better. I was like, yeah, but the thing I stress most about at uni is having the money for stuff. And that's only going to be exact exacerbated if I buy stuff that I don't need. So what the fuck is this doing in a textbook? <laughs> <laughs> and I think everybody looked to me in that that lecture room as if I was crazy but I was just thinking and I think that was the beginning of the end to me that yeah. I was like yeah that doesn't really make sense mm. and then I think the other the other uh, yeah the penny dropped again was after the financial crash when I saw the size of the bailout and the fact that taxpayers would be liable for recovering the cost of which and I was like there is no way we will be, ever be able to may, even maintain our current standard of living while having to make up for this loss and there not be mass rioting in the streets or some kind of massive reaching of fever pitch in terms of disillusionment or anger because what these people are proposing in order to cover the cost of their fuck up, like, this is this is like... This is like the czars of Russia kind of shit. This is turning people into peasants again. This is like elimination of what we refer to as a middle class or an aspirational class. Like, this is going to be horrifying. Do you feel that way, John? Is it is kind of how do you, how do you view
0: what Danes just said?
1: So, so let me make my 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 sort of my pitch to you for hope, I guess, which is, I I don't disagree with any of that actually, um, but but I also think that. I think we're in a moment when this story, this whole structure and system, is actually falling apart under the yeah. weight of its own contradictions, and Definitely. I think, and I think that creates both danger and opportunity, mm-hmm. and and it creates danger because when things fall apart. So in my book, I talk about not not just consumer and citizen, but also subject. So I talk about three stories of the individual in society, and and the subject story is essentially the kind of authoritarian story, right? It's the like mm-hmm. that is like shush, little people, do as you're told. It's not even just go shopping; it's it's do as you're told. Like, it's, it, it's, 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 also, it's
2: also it's not our fault.
1: It's the immigrants. We must stop the growth. Yeah, right. That's exactly. why it's the divide and rule, like exactly that. And 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 when. When things fall apart, that story raises its head, right? Because, because in times of uncertainty and, and chaos, someone saying, "I will fix." Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. it is super fucking appealing actually yeah. um and so but so so there is even more danger in this moment than 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 just the the kind of than just the collapse of everything but the, <laughs> but mm. but at the same time there is a space that opens up that that that's something out that that can lead to somewhere different and, yeah. and and that i think the reason why i go to the taiwan story and i accept it's a very different context in lots of ways But it it also isn't that different because what happened in that moment, they had very similar, like their government had exactly the same kind of messaging and implications like that. That economic power up plan is, is isn't so different from eat out to help out. Right. Like it's, (laughs) it's, and, and, and remember that what happened in this country and the re- when that moment was around, like actually we were doing it, right? Like, so there were mutual yeah. aid groups and street WhatsApp groups. There was that NHS first responder scheme. Do you remember where they, they yep. set it up and they said they were going to recruit 250,000 people in three weeks and 750,000 signed up in 36 hours and crashed the thing. You're like, that. that is the thing where you're like, okay. And, and then, so a lot of the stories I, I tell and found in the research of the book are like, really transformative work going on in places all over the country and beyond in grimsby there's this organization called east marsh united which started out with litter picks basically four years ago now has got a six monthly arts festival a fortnightly magazine called the proud east martian and last year they raised half a million quid in a consumer uh, in a community share offer which is enough money in grimsby to buy a whole street of houses houses refit them using good local jobs and then let them out as a social landlord like people are doing amazingly cool stuff uh and 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 in spite of Hmm. the the kind of the leadership and the frameworks and the structures and so the 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 sort of and and when you put that together with the fact that we know there are going to be more kind of cracks we know there are going to be more crises right like there's in in the next two years at most there will be Either a major flooding event or a week of forty degrees plus, right? And yeah. that is gonna that's gonna be another moment where the, where, the, where the where things open, and if we can name and see and connect up all of this stuff that's going on, and and and, and remember and tell the stories
2: of maybe Rupert Murdoch will also have a real bad fall. Right? Oh. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we can do things as well. Yeah.
2: I'm just throwing them out there. You know, yeah, I mean, we a, little dose of hope. Yeah, little dose essential. of hopium Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just imagine, John. It's a real. It's a. It's a rainy night. It's humid. It's been forty degrees. Now it's pissing down. His, his SUV. Walking out
1: yeah, his S- side of the street. I'm
2: here. <laughs> his his is driving somewhere. They have to take a detour due to these ULEZ zones, and all of a sudden overturns. Who knows? I mean, it could happen. We, we'll, we'll wait to see. Uh, no one saw a pandemic coming, Howard. Yeah. and that was see that. And a pandemic for me. That was another breaking point for humanity where it is now, because there it was a time where I think the pandemic, in terms of not so much the phenomenon of a, uh, a, a pathogen that can transcend borders because there's been loads of those, but more the fact that the reaction to it and the results of which, so for example, lockdown, which led to the recovery of life in like Venice canals mm. or the yeah. uh, bees beginning to repopulate, And, you know, people being able to change jobs where they felt like they weren't being appreciated in jobs of like hospitality, moving into tech. When we actually went viral in real life, there were a few instances where we could look and be like, you know what? Human beings need to maybe take a rest from being human doings and being human beings and just being, and that allows for all natural uh, forces to recover and to reset. And I'm wondering yeah. how soon we have to get to that point again, where we have to. So basically, you know, people used to make fun of the Spanish for having siestas. Let's do but that global siestas. I think I think global siestas that are planned because <laughs> we do daylight we do daylight savings. So why not do day savings, yeah, and maybe it. set a few days of like annual rest, which allows for the because I'm not saying this will solve the problem immediately, but I'm saying as close as we are to a crisis, a climatological tipping mm. point we can maybe slow that while thinking of new methods to kind of, yeah, address the issue. And I mean, that only maybe deals with a certain level of the climatological crisis, but...
0: No, but it's an, it's part of the ethos that I think we're talking about where we have become so designated by our consumer-driven wants. You know, I often talk about this, how, and they know very deep detailed how little i buy uh john i've <laughs> pretty much gone through most of my life never buying anything and uh, uh i don't know, really don't know how to explain it it's just part of my dna i guess i just don't have an interest in stuff but i'm aware of just like, how much that has affected the entire trajectory of humanity yeah. and 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 we and, and it hasn't made them happy but also hearing you talk makes me think one thing that really resonates with me is that human beings at the bottom of it all want to feel wanted you know and 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 i think what what we've given ourselves and all of the advertising that you get every day and doesn't make you feel wanted i don't think
1: right humans want to be useful and kind we want to make a contribution
0: be
2: a part of something be a brick in the wall just be yeah and that's the thing about, I guess, the uh, the crux of capitalism is that it uh, pulls us away from this collective and isolates us and suggests to us why we're not good enough to be a part of that collective. And then says, if you get this though, you'll be one of the big people in it. Yeah. Because even if you look at the commodification of like dating is, I say, to, I say this on stage many times, John, and people look at me like I'm fucking insane. I say that if... If dating apps or dating sites really wanted you to find love, it wouldn't be the best business model for them. So it's almost like they would suggest an almost perfect match on a, a very superficial basis, that's enough to keep you coming back, and to stimulate stimulate that yearning enough that you come back. But if you were to get if you were to get what you wanted, then you wouldn't keep coming back, and they wouldn't have it's a very like good business like a model. It's
1: kind of uh, yeah dating version of designed obsolescence.
2: Yeah. I mean, because what happens is they go, you're almost there, but if you pay for the upgrade, you get to be put in front of the right one. Yeah, you get put in front of the right people now. You get this. random people are acting like it's like, and and all these sites rotate around this, but it's obviously the fact that we've been able to commodify the uh, process of human courtship and under the guise of dating has created it where some people are now addicted to the process of dating and almost begin to forget about what the outcome is. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, this and this is this sort of speaks to it. like in my work. Uh, often people assume that I'm just talking about actual consumption, like how much stuff do you buy, mm. and and it's and it. To my mind, like consumption, like overconsumption is a symptom of the underlying story of the individual as consumer, rather than like being the whole problem. And and the, and it, so dating being consumerized, politics being consumerized, like our only we live in what I would call a consumer democracy, where our only agency is to choose between a fixed set of options, and where we're encouraged to make that choice on the basis of individual self-interest. Like that's that's and that's in. Every aspect of life, pretty much. That's what the consumer story is. It's the mm. idea that our agency is limited to choice, and that that choice should be made on the basis of self-interest, and that that is the thing that's got us trapped. But it's like, I guess the, and I'm not, I'm not doing the opium thing, but I, I am, I do come like. There's a wonderful. You should get her on the on the show. I think you guys would have an amazing conversation. There's a Turkish writer called Ece um She's amazing, but she has this thing she talks about like, don't choose choose faith over hope. Like, choose faith in humanity over like over sort of abstract hope. Mm. So like, if you believe in humanity, then and you start from that, then then you don't you don't start from like hum- if you start from humans are bad, but we might be alright, then you're not going anywhere. Yeah. If you start from like humans are decent, but we're surrounded by some really screwed up structures and processes and stories. And we need to break ourselves out of them. Then you've got a chance of doing something meaningful. And it might be—it's probably too late for, but too late for what, right? Like, what are we? What are we trying to keep exactly as is? What do we want? Like, things are. So yeah, I, I think there's uh, the, this idea of like we've we've sort of consumerized everything. I think is it means that we've reduced we've reduced ourselves to individuals. And and like one of the things I really like in what you're saying is like in my work I talk a lot about. The idea that, like the the biggest problem in many ways, is that the prescription for how to be good in today's world also comes from the consumer story. It's like turn your washing machine down, never fly, never have fun, never use a, re- a disposable cup, never do it, and and that, and you have to be a saint before you can do anything.
2: Which anybody weaned on consumerism is going to be like. Well, then, what kind of life do I have?
1: Right, exactly. One
2: of, one of the reasons why we even allow for a lot of our freedoms to be compromised, or even just our standard of life being compromised is that I work and I part up with this shit because then I'm gonna take my holiday. So if someone's suggesting Mm -hmm. the way to remedy that is to take that way, you're like, well, I'm not gonna fucking do that and not even have a holiday. Right. And 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 the other part of the problem is that uh, people also feel like morality itself is a commodity. Yeah. So when you even try to muse about people being more ecologically responsible, the reply will be, well, you can say that because you've got this. Or look, the millionaire says this. So when Marcus Rashford says we should feed children, well, look at the millionaire. He's a blah, blah, blah. Or, we should be more compassionate to refugees. Or let them come and live with you. So it's always the thing that even morality is a commodity that few people can afford as well. And it's also a way that you're able to, capitalism is also a way you're able to manipulate people because when people are struggling to satisfy their most basic mm-hmm. uh, physiological needs, it makes them all the more malleable. But, morally,
0: but John, come on, because we we kind of reaching the end, reach the end of our yeah. time now. Tell us, yeah. tell us, where did where do we go? Come on, Where right. we, if it's broken, it's all falling apart. Basically, no offence, but all of humanity's hope is on your shoulders in the next <laughs> six or seven minutes. Uh, no, come on, mate. Well, where, where, you you've sat and really gone into this. This is your yeah, yeah. life. So where where have you got to with it? You don't have all the answers, obviously. But-
1: no, no, but but I think like it starts with going. It's not like I think the the fundamental is like true agency in the face of these challenges is always collective, right? Like, and therefore the recipe for how to be good, what to do is not like change your individual behavior. Uh, Although like I'm not saying those things are bad, like do change your individual behavior. I'm not saying like everyone like, go listen to the show and then go and book some flights guys. But I, what I am saying is like the real agency lies in finding each other, like finding the others. Choose, my thing is like, choose home. Like what's the, what's a space or a domain or your local community or your workplace or something you give a shit about, something you feel connected to, something you care about. And then, and, and you want to change. You want to make better in some way. And then find the other people in that space, in that community, who who share that, and then figure it and then decide the first thing to do together. And that's that's like that's what I've learned from all of these things, all these stories. Whether it's Grimsby or or, or my my pal Kennedy in in Kabera and Nairobi or whatever, it always starts the same way. It's like a little knot of people.
2: Kabera, is, is quite person, quite a little the, of people. Quite a slum in Nairobi. Person. Yeah. Kibera is quite the slum. and know, I know a friend is. that used to talk about it as well. So, so uh, one of the stories so,
1: in my book, Kibera, so Kennedy Adede, uh, is who uh, founded an organisation called Shofco, he drew, grew up as a street kid in Kibera, uh, so watched his friend get stoned to death. Ken, Ken started with a, a football that he was given by someone. And like, started charging people a few cents to play football. Then he started loaning out money to people to start micro enterprises. Basically, this organization now called Shofco has, has grown to the scale where it took, it supported over two million people through the pandemic. Ken even hosted the first inaugural World hmm. Communities Forum because he got invited to Davos, the World Economic Forum. He was like, "This is fucked. This is not what we need. What we need is a World Communities Forum." So he decided to run it. Like that stuff. Like, and So so the reason why I say that is like they sort of get stuck in, do something, find your community, is because if we all start doing that, and if we all start seeing that that connects up, then the next time the crisis hits and we all start turning that into mutual aid and so on, when some, when some asshole comes out and says, eat out to help out, we're going to go, no, we're fucking helping each other out to help each other out. We're not going to just go to restaurants because you suddenly say so. We're going to we're going we're gonna to design another system. And that, and that's what happened in Taiwan. And it is possible anywhere. So that's like, it's a bit, it may sound a bit glib. There is, there's a book that you could read to find out more about it.
2: I wanted to add to this as well, because I think, I think that is, I think you are correct. And I think that's a very effective way. With the point you said about trying to find outlets for community or to reflect on aspects of your community that are, that may give you feelings of belonging and home. I think one of the problems is twofold. A, you mentioned ER to help out, which means definitely underpins populism where you have very short sighted solutions provided to people yeah. to address their feelings of existential dread or neuroses that I think a lot of people are dealing with. Even people who I may, would think I don't share the same political platitudes as, but they very clearly stem from the same worries. Yeah. So even when I listen to someone who has a xenophobic rhetoric about refugees and I, before i'd be like well that person is just an idiotic racist but i've been able to have more perspective because i'm like you live in london which is cosmopolitan is the economic centre of the united kingdom but people that are living in satellite towns and villages where they've seen their manufacturing industry yeah. eroded and their you know healthcare system is being diminished and stuff like that as well i think one of the problems is that like i said isolation has allowed it, allowed for a lot of these a lot of this uh toxicity to uh, fester but i think these are like crack pipes for loneliness
0: uh, dane's holding up his phone listeners. just so it's uh,
2: clear. so whenever people feel they are either spiraling towards more regressive belief they can find kinsmen on this phone that don't make them feel like their platitudes are as regressive as they think they are so where people might feel like they have maybe irrational feelings towards a particular group that's them from their own fears they'll find enough people on here who will have those same beliefs and then algorithms will pair those people together. So I say, the way I would say it is that like, if you imagine social media, like a very big school canteen, like a high school canteen, I say that because the amount of time that human yeah. beings consciousness has been on social media is about the same age as a teenager, which is like high school. And in high school, you have those people kind of in the middle socially, economically, but there'd be certain splinter groups. And they might be like, what we do, maybe the nerdy guys, the emos, the geeks, But because of social media, what used to be like one or two people at a table can be their own canteen. And people find a lot more solidarity in those numbers, even though collectively they may have very negative platitudes. So how can we address that? Because on the other hand, I think social media has been massively effective in making people aware of things that if they had to subsist on mainstream media alone, they would never know. So obviously we've met you. You told us about this triumph of ideological triumph for the people in Taiwan, not being reported anywhere else. So, how? So it's it's effective in that way. But I guess the question is like, in terms of the ideas for human beings reclaiming their humanity. Because the other thing I'd put say as well was about when I studied business, when I was like, this ain't okay. Is when the term personnel became human resource. I was like, <sighs> I that's. That's a kind of problematic to refer to human beings as a resource. Cause, cause that suggests to me, it's like, if you die at work, they'll be like, cool, more resource, please. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, if there's any, there are no statues on any sales floor anywhere, unless you're the motherfucker that founded the company. I don't care if you do 200% of your monthly target, mm. your only reward with next year will be do it again. Plus more. Yeah. And if you die trying to do these code calls, there won't be a statue, and no one from your company is going to be crying behind your hearse.
1: I think, I mean, just like a couple of things to riff off. I guess that the main one I would I I want to share is um one of the things I did in the research the book is I went uh a little way, not too far, don't worry, into uh, into the QAnon conspiracy theory, and um, mm. and I like. And what's super fascinating about that thing is uh, to your kind of your little table in the the canteen. I really love that analogy, by the way. But um, what they what's really fascinating about it is the opening the doorway into QAnon is basically a thing that says, we need you. Mm -hmm. Um, We like you're needed here. You have a role to play. Without you, we can't do this. Yeah. what what national leadership? What country? What what like who who else is offering that? Yeah, and to the, it's back to the thing of like especially especially especially
2: especially to a group of people who for the last well especially for the last ten to years... to the
1: unpopular kids in the canteen, right? The
2: unpopular kids in the canteen who for the last ten years have not only felt that they're unpopular in terms of the canteen, but also aesthetically don't feel like they look like the hero anymore. And QAnon, no. I totally understand QAnon. It's like what is worse. Than a group of elite, rich, baby-eating pedophiles. You can't think of a worse kind of person. <laughs> so, of course, if you're somebody who's been like a group of, like, you imagine you're someone who's lonely, been sitting in your house watching Netflix and yeah. Stranger Things, and then you hear that there's this subversive underground group of baby-eating, child-killing pedophiles. Of course, you're going to be like, "I'm one of the chosen people. Yeah. Now I'm part of something." You could completely understand that mentality. And, this, and the 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 thing the thing. I'm- I'm saying a lot and and I am working
1: in some pretty interesting places at the moment, like talking to politicians and not in the UK very much, to be honest. But I kind of agree with your diagnosis earlier. But there are people in positions of power and influence who are going, Jesus, we, we like if that's what that's what's working for QAnon. Like what they are doing is they are saying to people you're needed. We need to do that. Like we need to give people a meaningful role and that is starting to shift like i'm not telling you it's happening overnight and it's happening everywhere but more people more and more spaces stories like the taiwan story are being talked about and and in more and more spaces so i think it's like it comes from both sides it's like at the level of what all of us can do is we can we can connect up we can get involved we can find community and we can start to build it and then there is a there is also a challenge to people on the inside of these systems in positions of power that they have to see that people need inviting in, and that—that's kind of my recipe for for
0: some kind of hope. I guess. Well, John, where could we find out more about that recipe? Uh, I don't know, Howard. Dane, <laughs> <laughs> any ideas? Uh, probably just go Google. Just Google. I, it. I just, just, I just Google, took a quick yeah. quick, um, bump of, I, quick bump of quick bump of opium. I think I, I think, I think John Citizens. knows.
1: <laughs> uh, I wrote a book called Citizens: Why the Key to Fixing Everything Is All of Us, which you can get in all good bookshops or online. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm around on social media, mainly LinkedIn and Twitter. Well, X it's called now, isn't it? Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a whole other, a whole,
2: a whole other problem that we are allowing for a James Bond supervillain <laughs> to live out his fantasies in real <laughs> Let's life. We
1: even go there,
2: <laughs> we should go there because I think I'm gonna say it now, John. I think Elon Musk, like a lot of his other billionaire elites, they're basically working on being able to have a uh, domicile off world to yeah. avoid any global taxation. That's what I think. Mm. Or, they,
1: or they think it's all a game, right? Like there's a whole oh, of course. A bunch of them think that they're actually in virtual reality, which is just like, oh great, thanks for that.
2: Well, they're, they're so they're so detached. And I think that like social media was probably one of the first times a lot of these elites ever heard how people speak about them. And I think it was too much for their egos to handle, which is why he bought it in the first place. Because <laughs> <laughs> before yeah. you could, call, you could call Elon Musk a prick and everyone could laugh. And he can see so how he lost. I
1: need to own the space where that's happening. No. Exactly.
2: Which is <laughs> like, you know, it's like the same guy in the, in the high school where he's like, my dad is gonna shut this place down. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I think we'll have to speak again, John. Uh, and, and come and see us in person, perhaps, uh, in the real well, world. That. And we can do part two of this conversation. Cause I think uh, hopefully our listeners have enjoyed it as much as me and Dana have. Thank
1: you Uh, for having me, guys.
2: It's been a pleasure to talk. It's been amazing. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully, I'm going to get a copy of the book so that I'm up to date when we have our next conversation about this manifesto for saving humanity. So, so it's all all, all of our responsibility, and I'm happy to be a part of it, John. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You've been
0: listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Dane Snaptiste and at The Howard Cohen. You can now support us on Patreon. Just search DBQE Podcast and unlock ad free content, and you can watch the full length video of the podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram, at podcast, and we can feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything.